your Bibles, turn with me this morning. If you're, are you feeling blessed this morning? Yes. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of John, the signs of Jesus. In the book of John, we are making our way through. Uh, sometime after this, verse 1, chapter 6, after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among us? So many. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What an amazing story. If you're visiting us or just joining us online, we have a series where we're going through the seven signs of of, of Jesus. The signs were designed to point to exactly in the narrative of John who wrote the gospel was to point us in that direction, to point us to Jesus and to point us to the Messiah, to point us to the one who is coming. And if I want to uh, title this uh, sermon and um, I'm glad you've joined us for it. And you can go back and, and see the other signs as we make our way towards Easter. Appropriating Christ's power and sufficiency. Um, it's really understandable that we understand the power of Christ and his sufficiency to supply and to meet our needs. But I want to start at a very strange moment I want to go back to 1 Samuel 17, 43 and 44. Because here, the story of David and Goliath, I believe, is directly connected in heart and belief about how we should approach this sign in John's Gospel. You know the story that Israel was afraid and there was this giant who was declaring a kind of a hulk 
man stood there in front of the armies of the Lord. And I've been to the valley there where the battle was supposed to take place. I've wandered around. I've, I've seen the stream uh, where all the Christians take the stones out. And uh, because they think, oh, this is the stone, like the stone they used to kill Goliath. And then, then in the evening, uh, the Jewish authorities bring lots of little stones and put them back in the brook. And <laughs> for, the, for, for the Christians to come the next day and to take them out. I, I love it. Uh, but you stand there and you get a sense of where the armies would have been, the ancient armies on both sides. And Goliath steps out. Goliath, a remarkable individual. Standing there 10 foot high. Standing there booming. One had four brothers. We know that because those brothers had six fingers and six toes each. That's, that's weird. But they were, they were 10 foot high, had lots of fingers and lots of toes. And, and they were there and he was called, of course, Goliath was called in the scripture, the champion. Which if you read uh, Jewish commentaries on this, they would say that he would have had to have killed 100 people a year. That's kill a person every, I don't know, two and a half days. And so he was a champion. Over the last 10 years, he had killed probably 1,000 people. And he was standing there with his spear. His spear would have been... 15 foot high, and the tip of the spear weighed 16 pounds. So that was 14 feet with 16 powers, like a Saturn rocket coming towards you. I mean, you've got problems. His, his chain, his, his mail, his, his protection would have weighed around 40, 148 pounds. So kind of the weight of, I don't know. Pastor Luke, you know, he's a skinny guy. Um, basically, Goliath was stood there with, with Luke on his shoulders. Stood there with the javelin and out walks David, a boy. A boy has, and, and Goliath looks and says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here, I will give you flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. What are you? This is ridiculous. What a great story. He comes forward. He mocks him. He comes against him. And of course, he comes against him. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. There was nothing going to stop David from defeating this giant because it wasn't about David. It was about the presence and the sufficiency and the power of God present at that moment. David knew that he could defeat the giant because of the size of the God that he served. He did not have a distorted view of God. And there is a danger here. There is a danger that in our own thinking, when we face the giants, and you've come in this morning, and even as I was interceding this morning, I did think of this message. I thought, this message is definitely for Mike and Vanessa, because they are continually defeating giants where they are. And that battle is real. That battle is present. And I, we can't go into that, but you've got an idea of that battle. And where one giant falls, there's another four brothers stand there, ready to fight again. 
And your life feels like that. You feel like, oh, there's one giant and one problem I'm facing. That giant falls, but then there's another giant that comes, right? And you wonder, how am I going to get over this problem? How am I going to battle forward? Well, the way we're going to get over that problem and the way we're going to get battle is to have a fresh revelation of the mighty and the power of God. And actually what the sign of Jesus is about is a fresh revelation of who Jesus Christ is, what he represents and what Jesus Christ can do. That's how we receive it. So we have a problem. John 6 Verse 1 to 14, the same thread runs through both passages, namely the sufficiency and the power that only Christ gives. And you've come this morning, but you know that there are areas of your life where there is a battle. You know that you're facing this and you need sufficiency. You need God's power. Sufficiency meaning he is enough for you to get you through this. Sufficiency of Scripture is, Scripture is enough for us to bring us salvation and to bring us into the kingdom of God. And we can, be, we can know that there is sufficiency, that, that he is there. He will provide for you even in the darkest and the most difficult times. He is with you. He is there. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He, Jesus is exhausted. He wants to move. They, they jump on the boat to the Sea of Galilee. And they go across and, of course, they leave the crowds behind and he just wants some time. But there is a problem. And the problem is that, that Jesus is a celebrity and they are following him everywhere. And as soon as they land on the other side, the crowd comes and the crowd starts to arrive. From all the cities around, people start to arrive because they want to be with Jesus. There is a problem that too many people are arriving. And there is a problem because there is no food for them when they arrive. Because it is in the wilderness, although there is some nice green grass around, there is no food that is there. And so this problem exists. And we see this. But the one thing that we, we notice, and Mark's gospel, and the people saw them going and many recognized them and they rose together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. They were eager for Jesus. They wanted to get there. He's going there. Now, I've been to the, to the Sea of Galilee, as many of you may have done. And it's quite a small, uh, small lake. I mean, you look at our mighty Okanagan uh, Lake. But then you see the Sea of Galilee. You can see across it. You know, it's, it's several miles and several miles. Whereas we, from one end to the other, our 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 sea down the road is, what, 90 miles from one end to another. But, but you can see, so they probably were watching the boats. They were seeing where they were going. They were seeing which direction. But they were desperate to be with Jesus. And they recognized where he was going. And a great, and, in, and we read, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So what, what do we notice first of all? Well, Mark reminds us again that when Jesus saw the people, he had compassion on them. The word compassion here 
It's not a general thing. He didn't just kind of walk out like, like some rock star and see 10,000 people out there. And as he looked at them, he was like, oh, you know, I love you. You know, you know when, when artists at uh, concerts say that? Uh, and they, it kind of feels a bit disingenuous. I love you. Really, you do? Cost me $170 to get in here. <laughs> you love me? I love you so much, you know. My name is Taylor Swift. And, and, and you can't get a ticket um, at all. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, uh, I just don't always buy it that they actually do love us. And I've been to quite a lot of concerts in my time. I've, oh, Bon Jovi, yeah, uh, well, you're not interested in what, Diana Ross, um, uh, and she said, I love you, and she meant it, okay, <laughs> she meant it, she, she was right there, but you know, I think, but this word is, he had compassion on them, is the same word that is used actually in different times in Scripture, in John's Gospel, when he had compassion. Do you remember when he went and he saw the people crying at Lazarus' funeral and that he was dead in the tomb and he had compassion? And that word compassion literally meant that he's like a horse. And when a horse neighs, you remember that moment when a horse just neighs in the middle of a field and shakes and it's like a mini earthquake with emotion and feeling. And when he sees the grief of the people at the funeral, he had compassion on them. Literally, his internal body shook in the Greek word. And as that shook, his whole body shook because he saw their pain and he saw their problems. And what, what Jesus is looking at, he's not seeing the crowd... He's literally seeing every person in that crowd individually and he has compassion on them. And sometimes, even in our church of our size, you can feel like you're not noticed. But what I want to remind you is, is, that, is that Jesus, he sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees your battles. He sees your hunger. And he had compassion on them because he saw the needs of every person in that crowd. And that comforts me. It comforts me when I grieve because he sees my pain. It comforts me when my heart is broken because he sees my broken heart. It comforts me and you when you know that your children are are on a journey that, that you haven't chosen for them, and he sees your tears. He sees the battles that you have with sickness. He sees the pain that you travel through. He had compassion on this crowd. So he says to Philip, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy, buy bread for these people to eat? Hmm. He said this, he asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. I love it that Jesus wanted to test him. Sometimes you face issues in your life and actually Jesus is testing you to see your response to people. He's testing you. And looking and going, how are you going to respond to this problem? 
How are you going to respond to this person? And he tests him. He says, and, and Philip answered him and said, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You see, Philip did not have a vision of the power and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Philip had a vision of the accounts and how they couldn't possibly afford to feed all of these people. He was a bean counter at this moment. And if you look at the history of Philip, and, um, and I've taken a bit of an interest in him, because we've got to share the same name. His name means lover of horses. I'll leave it there. Uh, but, but, but Philip was always sort of like, give me the facts, give me this, give me that, let me know. If only you show us the Father, we will believe. Show me the spreadsheet. We can't do this. Uh, let me just get out my calculator right now and work it all out, right? You see... He got his calculator out, but he forgot who Jesus Christ really is and the power and the sufficiency that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so, you, you relate this back to David and Goliath. It's a good job that David didn't do the math and the odds about defeating Goliath. Here I am. I'm a young boy. I'm a young teenager. I'm, I'm weighing about about, and a good day, about the weight of the armour that he's wearing. I'm what? About 120 pounds. I'm about four foot eight, five foot. He's twice my size. That's the math. He's twice my size. He is, he, his spear is three times the length of any spear I could handle. And the tip of his spear is four, five times the weight that I could carry and do. And I am stood here in front of this giant, ten foot, and if he was playing for the NBA, he'd be a very rich guy, and, and stood there and the math says that he's basically going to come to me and he's going to squash me. And it's a good job that Philip wasn't there because he'd be throwing his calculator at Goliath. And sometimes we look at a problem and we pick up our calculator and we're throwing it at Goliath rather than believing that I come to you not with might and power, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's the vision. It's the revelation. And Philip says, eight months wages. It's impossible. Well, what's your solution? Then another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy. Here's a boy. Little boy. We have five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go amongst us? So many. He's, you think Andrew's done really well here. He's done better than Philip. But actually, it's a kind of like, mm, yeah, let's humor Jesus. Come here, boy. Here's, here's some, some bread and here's some fish. But, you know, really, but how far will they go among so many? Look, five loaves, two fishes, thousands of people. Work it out, Jesus. What was their solution? 
Their solution was to send them home, back into the wilderness, back towards their towns, and let somebody else solve their problem. That was their solution. Let's, let's send them up. Let's, let's all, come on team, let's put our tabards on. And let's, let's get our, our, our traffic cones out. And let's, let's guide the people like some massive living nativity. And let's guide the people. We can't help you. Go that way, please. Goodbye. Thanks for seeing Jesus. Book your tickets next year online with Ticketmaster when, when they're released. Like, please. Their only answer was to remove the people. Jesus' answer is to provide for the people. You see, what the disciples missed and what the author of John is trying to teach us is that they had all the resources and all the treasure and everything they needed right there because they had Jesus Christ. And the problem is is that they had a distorted view of God. They had a distorted view. The whole of Israel facing Goliath had a distorted view about the way that they saw God. And the disciples still hadn't clicked and they had a distorted view. If you go back in Israel's history when they appointed Saul, who was a, a man... Head and shoulders above people, a very good looking guy, a kind of very, you know, tall and handsome. They, they, they found their own giant of a person and they said, this person will be, will be like all the other kingdoms. Again, a distorted view because the Lord wanted to be their king. He didn't want a human king over them. There was a distorted view and this was an opportunity to for them to understand, and it's an opportunity to see how elevated Jesus Christ truly is. And what the author is trying to show us is that Jesus Christ, he's the provider. Jesus Christ is all-powerful. Jesus Christ comes and he elevates. He's, we lift him up and we see his power. Theologians have struggled over this passage. Progressive liberal theologians have explained this away. This is how the story goes. The boy comes out. The boy pulls out his lunch, his five loaves, mm. and his fishes. This is what they say. And as a result, everybody looks around at each other and goes, oh, if we pull together, we can feed everybody. And then all everybody who's got their sandwiches in their boxes, everybody pulls out their sandwiches and they start to feed. Like, do you remember that Coca-Cola advert? Coke advert, 1971, how, how they, they all sing together about buying everybody a Coke. How we, you remember that? It's kind of hippie, 71. No, you don't. If you remember the 70s, you weren't there, right? Okay, that's the 60s. And they're all hippies sitting together, and they're all, I want to buy the world a Coke, and, and, and peace and harmony is going to be created. In their theology, it's like they pull out, and everybody then pulls out their fishes and loaves, and everybody shares together, and everybody feeds. And it's a miracle that everybody's been so generous. That's not how it happened. 
Because when you do that, you lose the point of the power and the elevation, the sufficiency of who Jesus Christ is. It was a miracle. It was a miracle that God has the ability and Jesus Christ has the ability to create literally something out of nothing. Something out of nothing. That out of nothing, God can do amazing things. He can do incredible things. So he says to him, well, let's just pause for a moment as we and remind ourselves. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with swords and spears and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. He only weighs 120 pounds. Today I will give you the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. There's no distorted view of God here, is there? All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. This is the revelation that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that God can provide. You bring your rubbish, you bring your weakness, you bring your brokenness. What do we have? We have some five barley loaves. Barley loaves were the, were the worst of loaves. They were terrible. They were like, like actually, if, if a woman was caught in adultery and, and in Jewish law and she wanted to bring an offering to the temple, she had to bring barley loaves because barley loaves is basically what you're fed to animals. It's shame food. It's bad. It's not good. It is not good. And he's saying, you're just bringing me food fit for animals and you're bringing me two little fish and what am I going to do with this that you've brought me? I'm going to feed 5,000 people. I'm going to feed 10,000. I'm going to create something out of nothing because I am the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You bring, and this is really important because you're such a clever bunch. It's easy to bring how the good things to God. How awesome you are at public speaking. How amazing you are with your business acronym. How incredible you are and what you've built, what you've done. It's easy to bring the awesome things to God. And you've all got awesomeness. (laughs) But I tell you what is the hardest thing that takes real guts is to bring your barley loaves and your two fish to Jesus. Your weakness, your failings, your pain, your agony, your failure. And say, here's my weakness. Can you do anything with this, Jesus? Because I am rubbish. This isn't fit for an animal. And Jesus says, Well, actually, I can. 
I'm very good at taking the nothing of your life and turn it into something. I'm very good at taking the barley of your life and making it unique. If you hand me your weakness, you hand me your pain, you hand me your failure, you hand me what you've got, you just hand me your weakness. Hand me your broken heart. Hand me your grief. Hand me the barley loaves of your life and I will take it and I will give thanks for it and I will multiply it into something remarkable. Isn't that true about your life and mine? That the most remarkable moments have happened when we face the deepest times of pain and agony, of grief, of disappointment, of of barley bread, of life. And that's why I look at every human being. We look at the brokenness of humanity Look at the brokenness of your life. Just bring what you have to Jesus and let Jesus multiply it. Even if it's a tough, bring the weakness of your life and let him multiply it. Bring the failings of your life and let him multiply it. Bring the disappointments of your life and let him multiply it. And he gives thanks. And the incredible thing, the scripture says that he multiplied it and they went away full. Everybody was satisfied. You see, the problem was they had no food. The solution is the power and the might of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's believing in him. It's holding on to him. It's knowing. And Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Little is much when God is in it. He wanted them to see that the truth in a most dramatic demonstration. Your little, bring it to Jesus, is much. It is harder to give God our weakness than our strengths. So we need to practice pouring out our weaknesses to God. And see what he does by multiplying them. So finishing off. First realise that God wants to help you where you're right at this morning. You've got your giant. You've got your Goliath. You've got your battle. You've come to church. And God wants to help you. I believe that with all my heart. Because if I couldn't say it and preach it and share it with you. And pray with you. I would not... It would be a fallacy. I don't want a false Christ. I don't want a Christ that that taught well and then said, let's multiply and everybody brings their Subway sandwiches and we all share our Subway sandwiches together and it's all said it's a miracle. Human beings are really nice after all and we've all got sandwiches to share. So share your sandwiches. No. I need a Jesus who is elevated, who is the a member of the triune God who is there 
in all his power, I need the lion of the tribe of Judah. I need the good shepherd. I need the Messiah. I need the son of the living God. I need Jesus, God himself, in the form of man coming into this world. That's who we need in our lives. And that's the revelation that we need. We need to elevate Jesus. And secondly, well, I I love this verse. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Secondly, realize that God is big enough to help. This morning, you've come and you believe that God is, I want to tell you, God is big enough to help. So don't give up. Keep believing. Keep seeing the sign that comes. Do you have nothing to give? Then give that. Your nothing plus God is everything. We need to believe that God is big enough that he wants to help us. And that he is with us. Who's the hero of the story? Well, of course, Jesus is. But there's another person in this story that isn't actually mentioned in the text. And it's the little boy's mom who made the food for the boy to bring to the big party. Have you ever thought about her? I have. And there's no spiritual point to that comment. But I just love that thought. Somebody gave the little boy the food and the fishes and popped him off. Said, it's not much, son, but you can at least eat. And when he gets there, what happened to what I gave you? Did you enjoy the bit of barley and fish? Well, I did, but then... Then this guy prayed over it and multiplied it and fed 10,000 people and there were 12 baskets left over, absolutely abundance. Is that amazing? Let's stand together. If you want to take your communion. Um, if you've got the cups as you came in and you're, this is new for you, then, um, then just know that the bread is at the bottom and the juice is on top. Just separate. If you want to take the wafer for a moment. Later on in, the, in this, he teaches, I am the bread of life. God's power and God's sufficiency is there for you. For a moment, as scripture says, take a moment to examine yourself as you look at the bread. Take a moment to confess your sins. Take a moment to search your heart and to bring your weakness to Jesus before you take communion. And for some of you right now, and maybe you know you're distant from God. Maybe this morning 
before you take communion, you know truly that you don't have this Christian faith. That you're not right with God. That you're not a Christian. And this morning, you can invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart as your saviour. You can be forgiven. And while my dear Christian friends are just thinking about the bread and the wine and remembering, I want to lead you in a prayer of rededication or a prayer of commitment to Jesus. You've listened to this message and you believe that yes, I want Jesus as my saviour. I've had a distorted view, but now I want to receive God's forgiveness. I want to get right with God. I want to give my life back to Jesus. Say this prayer gently to yourself or pray however you feel you want to reach out to him. Goes like this Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I choose to give my whole life to you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give myself to you. Forgive me. I choose to make you Lord of my life now. I choose to give my whole life over to Christ now. As every head's bowed and nobody's looking around, but you know this morning that you're giving your whole life to Jesus whether you're coming back to God or whether you're making a decision to become a Christian this morning. If that's you, just raise your hand for a moment. By raising your hand and putting it down, you're saying, Phil, pray for me. This morning, I'm getting right with God. I choose Jesus. Is there anybody? Before I take communion, I declare I'm following Jesus now. God bless you. That's wonderful. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. Father, I pray for those that you're speaking to. And I pray, Lord, that you will now meet them by the power of your salvation as they get right with you at this moment. And the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Friends, the body of Christ, eat it in remembrance. In the same manner, he took the cup poured it out saying this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world dear friends drink 
and remember that you are now forgiven, redeemed. The great exchange has happened. He takes your unrighteousness and gives you his righteousness. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for your sacrifice, for all that you've done. In the final moments, let's, um, I'm going to invite the elders, their wives and pastors to come and be available at the front. And what I want to say to you, if God has spoken to you, come and receive prayer. Bring your loaves and your fishes. Bring what you have, your life, and ask the Lord to multiply it. Come and reach out to Him and re receive prayer if you need it.